Hello, evolutionaries, and welcome to the For the Evolution of Business podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Brady, and I'm here today with Mubarak Bashir and Sarah Marcus from the Grayson Center for Open Hiring. Most companies spend a lot of time and money screening people out. Right now, there are millions of people looking for work who can't find a job because of a criminal history, limited education or qualifications, lack of work experience, or low or no job skills. Open hiring shifts investment and human resources into training, learning and development, benefits, and employee support. Grayson is proof that it works. It produces 40,000 40, pounds of world-class baked goods daily for companies like Ben & Jerry's and Whole Foods Market and retail customers through its online store. Open hiring is good for business. It allows companies to save on recruitment costs and access a broader pool of talent to meet their hiring needs. It creates value in organizations while fostering equality, respect, and growth in communities. And we're lucky today to have Mubarak Bashir, who is the Regional Director of Grayson uh, Center for Open Hiring here in Rochester. Mubarak has extensive experience in nonprofit management, including program administration, strategic planning, and building effective partnerships. Prior to joining Grayson as Regional Director of its Rochester chapter, he worked at the Urban League of Rochester for over 11 years in a variety of roles, most recently as head of its workforce development programs. And I might add, uh, he is the first returning guest on the, for the Evolution of Business podcast. Uh, but now that he's at Grayson, he is introducing Grayson's innovative open hiring model to the Rochester community to assist local businesses in creating more inclusive workforces and create job opportunities for individuals who face barriers to employment. Mubarak holds an MPA from the College at Brockport and the State University of New York, where he was inducted into the Phi Alpha Alpha Honor Society and a bachelor's in sociology and criminology from Millersville University in Pennsylvania, and was recently recognized as one of the Rochester Business Journal's 40 Under 40. Congratulations, Mubarak. Thank you. Also joining us is Sarah Marcus, who is the director of Grayson Center for Open Hiring. Sarah joined Grayson in 2019 to build out the Center for Open Hiring. In her role, she oversees partnerships with employers, nonprofit partners, and funders with the ultimate goal of fostering the adoption of open hiring across industries to help companies remove barriers to employment. Sarah's background prior to Grayson was in the private sector, first as a management consultant for Oliver Wyman, advising clients across industries to address complex challenges. She then worked in corporate strategy and the food and beverage industry at Danone North America, where she led strategic projects across functions, brands, and business units to drive company growth. Her career is focused on leading companies through transformational change, and now at Grayston, she is fortunate to do that in the context of scaling a more inclusive hiring model. Sarah holds an MBA from Harvard Business School, congratulations on that, where she focused on studying business model solutions to social challenges. Thanks so much for joining us today, Sarah. Thanks for having us. So you both are fairly new to Grayston, which is really exciting because I know it's really in a, in a growth and a scaling mode of, of this uh, open hiring concept that's been around a little while, but Sarah, I'm wondering if you could just kind of give us the the history of of where this this crazy idea started. Absolutely, yeah, it's great to to be in an organization that's at, at in a period of change and yet has such a long um, and incredible history. So Grayston was founded in 1982 by a Zen Buddhist monk named Bernie Glassman fascinating guy. I recommend listeners look, look him up um, because he's done a lot of great work. One of his enterprises was Grayston, and it started really as a way for him to make a livelihood baking cakes for him and his, his peer Zen monks. 
but they were in the Bronx uh, before they moved to Yonkers, where Grayson is currently, and they saw homeless people on the streets who needed jobs, and where the rest of society was seeing these folks as liabilities, he really saw them as untapped assets, and that they could create tremendous value if they were put to work in a productive way. And so he brought them in and they started, they didn't call it open hiring at the time, but it essentially was. Anyone who needed a job could come to Grayston, put their name on a list, and when there were jobs available, he would hire them. Um, and then mid 80s, he came into contact with Ben and Jerry of Ben and Jerry's. Um, and they were involved in one of the early social venture network conferences before the concept of social enterprise was really widely adopted. Um, and they said, you know, we got to do a product together. And that's how chocolate fudge brownie came to be. Grayston now supplies the brownies for all of Ben and Jerry's um, ice cream globally. And our business really grew on the backs of that partnership. Um, but we really never got away from that initial mission of giving opportunities to people who were excluded from society. So we'll, we'll get more into what is open hiring and, and how we practice that. But um, that's really how it grew. And then various kind of services emerged on top of that because Bernie would really go to the employees and say, hey, what do you need? And they would say, we need childcare, we need housing. So Grayson grew into this hybrid for-profit, non-profit um, that both was manufacturing brownies uh, for, for customers as well as operating social services to address some of those needs that, that the employees and community members had. Um, we've since kind of focused in more on employment as our, as our area of focus on the nonprofit side, um, but still with this mindset of, um, you know, a job is, is a start, but there's oftentimes many more aspects of a person's life that they have to get in order, and we're really invested in helping our employees address some of those needs. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember the first time that I heard about open hiring, it was at the Conscious Capitalism Conference a few years ago. Um, Mike Brady was the CEO of, of Grayson at the time and, and talked about this this really innovative concept and i remember walking up to him after and just kind of I, I i made the mistake i guess of saying gosh it's it's so incredible that you give um so many of these folks a second chance and he's like you know what to be honest many of them never had never had a first chance um you know but based on where they grew up maybe based on the color of their skin based on any number of things that were that were going against them um the school to prison pipeline uh, many of these things that that keep them from getting that chance the first time around and and so to instead uh you know shift that focus and say how do we how do we create a truly inclusive i mean i mean it, diversity and inclusion has been uh certainly top of mind uh for for many um for for a while but especially in in the last several months uh but this is this is it really takes inclusion to another level uh, and, and so I'd be curious to hear from you, Sarah, uh, you know, based on what, what Grayson is up to uh, and based on maybe some of the uh, hesitancy from, from some business owners to, to, to join in on this, on this project, what is that, that business case? Because I know that there is, you know, Grayson is still a business and, and still able to, uh, you know, turn a profit and, and be a successful business at that while having this, this really important social mission. Absolutely. Yeah, we, we know that the business case needs to be there for, for companies to really embrace this because yes, it's a, it's a nice thing to do, but it has to make sense for the bottom line for it to be adopted more broadly. Um, essentially, the, the business case, and you, 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 get, you started to allude to this up front, is that companies spend a tremendous amount of resources screening people out 
Um, you know, there's whole industries that have been built around, you know, credit checks, background checks, drug testing, um, the time it takes to interview someone, the time it takes to look at someone's resume. All of that is extremely resource intensive. And yet, that have significant pools of entry-level talent, and they still face very high rates of turnover. And so the, the thought is that this, these processes that are so resource intensive aren't actually serving their intended purpose. And so what our model is, is basically we spend essentially nothing on recruitment. When you do open hiring, and we've learned this through some of our partners that have piloted it, word spreads pretty quickly. And so people come to us, they put our name, their name on our list. Um, and then we hire them in the order that they, you know, we, we give them job opportunities in the order that they're on the list. Instead of spending money screening people out, we invest those resources in supporting them once they're here. So through a, a, a really intensive onboarding process, through training, through soft skills development support, also through wraparound support, this concept we call path making, which is where we help individuals connect with services in the community that may you know, that may address issues in their lives, such as transportation, housing and security, childcare, all of those things that might prevent them from being successful at work. So, so again, we, we shift investment towards um, those supportive services. And we think that's a, a better model for opening your doors to those who you would otherwise exclude who may actually be tremendous talent. Um, and I should say that it doesn't work for everyone, right? This is not a social service program. Um, again, as you said, we have a business to run, but for those who doesn't, it doesn't work out, it costs us very little to hire the next person because we have that long list of folks waiting. Um, and then for those for whom it does work out, again, we find incredible employees who just don't make it through traditional hiring practices um, and become incredibly loyal and productive um, and so we think the case is extremely strong to, to bring people in that way. Yeah, and well, and, and I, I often lead telling people about this, you know, trying to explain it to them. And, and then as they're starting to look at me with their eyes crossed, I'm saying, you know, it's, it's been going on for, you know, close to 40 years down at, down at Grayson. And now we're really lucky uh, that, that Rochester is, is among some of the first pilots of how do we bring this into a, into a brand new community. And so I know that the uh, efforts have been there for a while, Mubarak, but but it's been only a few months now that, that you've been officially on board. So what has been some of the, as you're starting to kind of build out this ecosystem and understand how this model needs to adapt to Rochester, what have been some of the kind of early uh, initiatives that you're taking on? Yeah, so early initiatives is just uh, a lot of it is just educating businesses about the open hiring model. Um, so we're fortunate, Ty Hook with CleanCraft has been using this model even before Grayston uh, moved to, uh, to Rochester. He was uh, a big proponent of having open hiring come to Rochester. So a lot of it is cold calling um, employers and businesses. Speaking of this model, I think when we look at the history and how Sarah's mentioning, Bernie saw the issues, the homelessness problem, the uh, recidivism problem. We can look at Rochester as a community. We have a lot of these same issues. Um, so it, it, it's uh, we're very fortunate that if we can have business leaders use the same mindset, you know, look at these problems. How can we as a business support our community and make sure that, you know, we're able to uh, benefit all of our community members, regardless of their educational level or if they have uh, were incarcerated previously? What can we do to make sure that we're able to get these people back to work and, and become a benefit to society? So a lot of it is just the education piece. Um, I think a lot of people initially when they think open hiring, they think it's a reentry program when it's not. 
this is for anyone that doesn't have access to employment opportunities. It could be someone that's returning from incarceration. It could be someone that doesn't have a high school diploma or GED. It could be a stay-at-home mom or dad that's looking to re-enter the workforce. So anyone that doesn't have access. So we want to make sure that businesses know it's a wider range of people that we're, that we're looking to tap into. I began getting a lot of calls specifically for the homeless population. So we want to make sure that we're able to get people that are facing homelessness, homelessness access to work. So that is a big piece, and then also the path-making piece um, is what we're, we're really trying to uh, bring to Rochester, and it's that wraparound support services. And coming from the Urban League and working in workforce development, our outcomes was to get uh, our young people placed into employment. And it wasn't that they couldn't work. The issue was if they worked nine to five and they knew at the end of the day, I don't even know where I'm staying. I'm, I don't know where I'm going to live. It's going to be very hard for them to concentrate at work. There will be great employees, but they have these outline, outlying issues that need to be addressed. And so we want to be the uh, business that comes in or the uh, organization that comes in, and we can help with those, uh, those issues, and we can provide resources for individuals that are facing that. And these are issues that, whether someone is entry-level entry or executive-level, everybody faces these outside issues that they need access to these resources. Uh, right before I left is when uh, COVID hit, and, and and being in a supervisory role, I honestly I felt a lot of my staff may needed someone to speak to because it was just uh, it was something new. No one knew how to adjust to some of the things that were happening, and so the path making piece is key again, whether it's entry level, executive level, or you know anyone in the staff, just to give them access to those resources that are out there. So that's really another thing that we're we're uh, pushing here in Rochester, so the open hiring and as well as the path making piece. Yeah, so one of the things that you alluded to that I want to just kind of be explicit about, you know, given that many of our, our listeners are business owners, business leaders, many in the Rochester, upstate New York area, but but scattered around the country and the world, and you know, thinking about maybe they're they're trying to imagine this happening at their organization, um, and maybe it can't happen like it does at Grayson, where virtually all of these positions are, you know, bakers and, and, they're, and they're all through the open hiring process. But correct me if I'm wrong, in, in the model that you're pursuing, it can be certain elements of, of the business. Uh, you know, maybe you hire a few positions here or there inside of an organization. It doesn't have to be that your entire organization moves to that model. Is that kind of what you're, what you're following? Yeah, that's what we're following. So if you think I work at Grayston, I wasn't an open hire, right? I had to go through that process. So Grayston, uh, um, Sarah, same process, right? We had to send a resume and interview and all of that. Now the bakery, they have staff at the bakery that are open hire. So we're not asking businesses to go full open hire. Let's do it. Start with maybe five to 10 positions, see how it works. We have the path making piece, see how that works. And then as they get acclimated to this model, we'll be able to, you know, to roll it out and we'll, we'll be there the entire time to look at readiness. And, you know, we have uh, someone on staff that does impact measurements. So we can see the impact that open hiring is having. Has production increased? Has, uh, have we seen a reduction in turnover? So all of these things, we're there to support businesses. Um, it is a, it is a, a big change that we're asking. Um, but again, it's, it's a, uh, it'll be a positive change. I know, like I know, I always say, like I know this is gonna work in Rochester. Um, if, you, if you're really about community and, and giving back, this is one way that, you know, we'll have success. And those ones that are the early entry to open hiring are, are going to see that it's going to be successful and we'll work together to make sure that it's going to benefit our community. Yeah, so what have been some of the kind of early wins or, or maybe at least early opportunities that you're finding? Are there certain 
industries that are more open to this or certain positions inside of companies that seem to be uh, thinking about an open hiring model here in Rochester? Yeah, so early wins is that I have not been turned down yet to have a conversation. I think that that's big that people haven't said, no, we don't want to talk to you, they'll at least talk to you. You know, we're not ready right now, but, you know, there's always that but. So we aren't uh, just closed off completely. So I think that is that is a, a good step. Um, and then we did have hold an open hiring 101 and we've uh, just gave like an overview of open hiring. We had someone from the body shop on there to talk about how they've been utilizing the open hiring model. And we had a number of businesses in Rochester join that call um, and have been reaching out. So my first few months was just a lot of cold calling, um, like cold calling businesses and like, you know, we're bringing this to Rochester and uh, through like the panel discussions, the open hiring 101 and this, the different things that we've been involved with. We've had a lot of businesses that are reaching out, showing an interest in open hiring and as well as that path making piece. So I think that's that's a great win and it does show there is a lot of interest in, in open hiring. Yeah, that's great. I'm I'm really glad to hear that. And and you mentioned the body shop and, and so that actually led right into the next question, uh, Sarah, that I had for you, kind of just hearing a little bit about um where have these these processes and, and programs started to started to go take off? Are are there certain other organizations like the body shop that are uh that are that are taking this on or is is are you more focused on this regional approach how is the kind of replication and scaling of this going so far where are you finding success yeah so we've had a few really strong partners uh we start to pilot this and i can i can share more in a minute um but we didn't start with a regional approach. We started basically just shouting from the rooftops, hey, we have this model, it works, others should try it. Um, and many were skeptical, but we were able to find a few that leaned in. Where The reason that we, we are now in Rochester and that we think a regional approach makes sense is that it's one thing to remove all barriers to employment and to do open hiring on the inbound. But as we've been saying, that supportive infrastructure and, and network of services is an important part of the model to um, help employees be successful. Um, and if they're not gonna work out at an employer, find a place for them to get the resources they need to, to improve their livelihoods. And so when we partner with some of these other companies that aren't in our region, you know, we, we tell them go out and, and connect with social services and help your employees address some of these issues but it's really not in the wheelhouse of most businesses. Um, and that doesn't necessarily make sense for each individual employer to invest in developing that kind of infrastructure. So what's awesome about us being in Rochester is that we can help kind of connect those services, be that network, that infrastructure of support that employers can, can then tap into. And so we're really excited to kind of see how employers will, will leverage that and how it will um, improve the outcomes associated with the model. That said, um, our partner the body shop actually still had a really phenomenal experience piloting this um, and to your earlier question one area where we have seen a lot of uptick is in distribution and warehousing um, these are oftentimes you know jobs that can be trained very quickly and someone can be up and running um, quite quickly which is is, is a, a type of job that's conducive to um, and so they piloted in their distribution center down in Raleigh Durham for their holiday seasonal employment where they hire 200 people um, for the for the November to January and they actually saw a 60% reduction in turnover year over year by eliminating all barriers to employment essentially they went to three questions um, are you authorized to work in the US can you lift up to 50 pounds and can you stand for up to eight hours 
those were really the only requirements that they had for the job. They got rid of requiring high school diplomas, no more drug testing, no more background checks. Um, and so their turnover went down, their productivity went up 13%. So even without the path making, obviously the results were, were extremely successful for them. Um, and they're now looking at their how to roll it out into their retail stores for um, the holiday season at the end of at the end of 2020. Uh, we have another partner, Eagle uh, in Pennsylvania. They're a grocery store chain, and they also, rather than starting in their stores with the customer facing roles, they're starting in their distribution center as well. Um, they also removed essentially all barriers, and so far they've hired about 150 folks this way, 36 of whom have been there over six months and have now converted into union, union jobs. And they reduced their time to hire from three to four weeks down to seven days by eliminating all of that red tape. Um, and they're now thinking about, okay, how do we bring this out to other facilities in our network? Um, so really, again, like it's, it, and it doesn't have to be 150 jobs, it really can be one, but finding that place in your organization where you can hire the next person through the door, even if it's just one job, just creating an on-ramp for folks who really would otherwise be completely excluded, um, I think can really have a transformative impact um, on an organization, on an individual, and on a family. Yeah, it's really interesting to me to hear that the uh, the retention is actually increased by, by these programs. Do you attribute that just to these are folks that are really hungry because they haven't been given opportunities, or is it is it part of that that wraparound support, or you know, some combination of, of, of those things? What do you attribute that that retention to? Yeah, I think it's two things. I think one, yes, it's folks who have been excluded time and time and again, and so they're they are, as you said, hungry for, for that opportunity. They all, I do think it's also part of the, even if they didn't really do full path making the way we would describe it, I do think the body shop made a much bigger effort around including these seasonal hires into the fabric of the organization, training them well, um, rather than just showing them the job, talking to them about how does their role fit into the larger purpose and mission of a company like the body shop. Um, and really engaging um, with their employees and also making space for them to say like when they, you know, if there was an issue, if they weren't able to afford the steel toe boots, for example, that are required in the distribution center. Um, so I do think that creating that kind of environment um, can go a long way. And so, you know, it's exciting for us to find partners like that where they have a, a, a culture of of inclusion, of support. Um, you know, we think many employers are trying to move towards that. And we think like implementing something like open hiring is a good kind of instigator for companies thinking creatively about how they can bring their employees in in a different way. And I think that also contributes to retention. Yeah, that's great. And, and I, I wanna ask you, Sarah, uh, you know, thinking again, maybe for those that aren't in Rochester, but they they may, may own, own or lead a business and they're interested in, in what this looks like, um, you know, as you're mentioning, maybe there needs to be a little bit more of a critical mass if you're not doing it a, a regional approach because there's there's so many of those support services that you want to connect with to, to be successful. But say I'm a business leader, um, you know, outside of Rochester and, I, and I'm, I'm really interested in this model. What would it look like to get started, to engage with Grayson, to get started with this open hiring process and try to integrate some of that? What does that kind of typically look like? Yeah, well, you can come to go to www.grayston.org and, and certainly reach out to us. You know, we have a form there and we love hearing from businesses that are at, at all, you know, wherever they are along the spectrum from, I basically already do this already. I just don't call it open hiring to that sounds crazy. Um, I have no idea where I would even start. 
we love those conversations. Um, so we have a, a, a training curriculum that we um, use to get businesses onboarded. It used to be uh, something that we would bring businesses to Yonkers to, to engage in pre-COVID. You know, they'd spend time in the bakery, really get immersed in, in our values and our culture and think about then ways of how they can take that um, back to their organizations. Now we're doing much of that virtually through things like the, the 101 webinar that Mubarak talked about, as well as just engaging kind of one-on-one -on -one with companies and, and doing trainings for them um, remotely. Um, and then I, I would also just say, like, in terms of where, where companies can start, it also doesn't necessarily have to be full open hiring, even just for one job. Just think critically about what, what restrictions you have or what screens you have for, for any of your jobs and where you might be able to kind of chip away at them. So maybe it's not, maybe you keep the interview, but you don't need the background check, or maybe you think the interview is actually a source of great bias and let's try eliminating that. Um, so we also like companies to kind of think creatively about where they can, they can remove barriers, even if it's not a full kind of first come first serve hiring model like open hiring. Yeah, I, I saw on your website too that it said that there was about $4,000 per hire is spent on, on screening people out. Uh, and, and that to me was amazing when you think about, gosh, really redirecting that into investing in that, in that individual once they're, once they're through the door and, and how many opportunities that opens up uh, for that individual and, and for, the, for the organization too. I mean, I, I know a lot of conscious types of organizations and especially as you're mentioning, you know, there's, a lot of the, there's a lot of the pieces of the job that you can teach them and you can train, um, but it's a lot harder to train for the, uh, the, the hunger it's a lot harder to train for the uh, their 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 passion and their and their attitude and those sorts of things. And so when you find that and then you and then you invest in some of the training for them, uh, it's it's a it's a mindset shift. But once once you see it, I think it just it just seems to make so much sense. Absolutely. So Mubarak, similar question for you then. Uh, if there are folks in Rochester, and, and obviously, you know, I'll put all your information in the show notes so, so that they can reach out to you um, if they are interested. But kind of walk us through that timeline of, of what that would look like to, uh, to engage with the, with the Rochester uh, Regional Center for Open Hiring to say, hey, I, I want to maybe start with a few, with a few folks for, in my organization that I think could be an open hiring model um, what does that kind of look like over, over the next couple of years if they're trying to implement this? Yep, so similar to what Sarah said, you can go to uh, the Grayson page. There's actually one uh, a page on our website that's geared towards Rochester businesses. So if they have an interest, they could fill out that form. Um, I'll touch base with them and, and sim it's a similar process. We'll kind of walk them through, see the readiness, how many employees they want, uh, they have an interest to bring through the open hiring model. But again, a lot of it is just, you know, the education and, and just making sure they're on board. And um, so some of the uh, business leaders that have reached out are, are ready to go, but they feel like maybe some, uh, like if their management or leadership may not be, right? So there is a lot of education that needs to happen to make sure that if businesses do go into a, a open hiring model, that, you know, everyone is kind of on board and, and ready to move forward. So that's what the learning lab is, is that we'll see the readiness of businesses and then we'll you know, move along at, at their pace. So we don't want to like rush anyone into the process. We will, we'll do it slow and steady. That way it is successful and, you know, it works out. So anyone that has an interest, they can go to the website or re reach out to me directly and, you know, we can begin that process. Perfect. And, 
And this question, maybe uh, maybe I'll start with Sarah, but I'd like to hear kind of both of, of your thoughts so far in, in your experience. I, I'm just really curious, like both from Grayson's perspective, but maybe for the business owner's perspective, what tends to surprise people most as they're, as they're going through this process? There's probably some pleasant surprises like that, you know, the, the retention that you were mentioning earlier, uh, but, but maybe there's some, some other surprises too of just things that they weren't expecting uh, because this is such a, a, you know, a radical shift for them. Yeah, I think I think there are good surprise surprises that can be that are opportunities, but also potential stumbling blocks, and, and that is is really the buy-in that you need internally for this, and the kind of transparency and intentionality with which I think it's critical to to implement something like this. And so it's one thing for a leadership to say, "Yeah, we're doing this," but you really need to get the buy-in of those who are going to be working day in and day out with the open hires, and so. What we've seen really be really successful is when companies um, are very kind of intentional about working with you know stakeholders up and down the chain, whether it's you know leadership to frontline supervisors to the other you know frontline workers who will be alongside open hires. Um, where I think the surprise comes in is that I think if you get their buy-in, um, th this can really have a transformative impact on, on an organization's culture. Um, I, I really saw this with, with the body shop where we spent a, a good chunk of time with their, their supervisors who were certainly skeptical at first. Um, they were like, this is gonna be a free-for-all, this is gonna be madness. And then as they understood, okay, this is, this is still a job, same expectations, same accountability, this is not gonna be a free-for-all. Suddenly, they were starting to think about, oh, like who in my community would benefit from a job here? Um, you know, some of them were already volunteering with nonprofits, where they were excited to tell, you know, tell the folks that they work with about these opportunities. And if you think about a, a, a supervisor at a distribution center, suddenly their job is not just moving boxes around; it's, it's transforming lives. I mean, I think that that is is really um, transformative and 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 a really like incredible surprise and honestly really you know Grayson's always been doing open hiring so we know that like we're all really excited about it and that it's really like part of our culture but to see that transformation within other companies has been a great surprise for us as well yeah it actually just reminded me as you were talking of the I've seen on your website you know you, that you don't you don't hire people to bake brownies you, you bake brownies to hire people and, and you know it's again making that shift for a lot of companies where maybe they they feel like they have this purpose that's kind of just fancy words on the on the website or on the plaque on the wall but how do we actually uh you know see our purpose as the transformation of those lives and and uh really really incredible i i love that that element of you know infusing that purpose into you know obviously you're helping the the folks that are are being hired through the open hiring process but you're also injecting some purpose to everybody that was that was there already right i yeah exactly i mean purpose has become such a buzzword right and yet we all know what it's like to, to work for places that have the nice, you know, message along the wall and, and, and you don't necessarily feel that day in and day out. And I think open hiring is a way for companies to really operationalize that um, in a way that, that everyone will notice and your customers too, because you get to talk about it and, and, um, and, and, you know, share the impact that you're having with the world. Yeah, actually, I'm curious about that. Is there anything that, uh, that Grayson, does specifically or or tries to work with some of these other companies like the body shop or others um how how best to share that message because i think more and more people are trying to be conscious consumers 
you know, in terms of where they spend their dollars or, or kind of just investors in, in those sorts of things. Are there any, are there any positive uh, ways that you found to kind of share these stories so that, so that people know all the, all the love and, and purpose that goes into, into the, whether it's brownies or, you know, the body shop or anything like that? Yeah, I think, I think it's, it's two things. It's sharing, sharing the outcomes, right? Like sharing the data, because we, we obviously want like the business community to, to see that and, and see the results. But then obviously there, there's the impact and like, you know, the, the stories of individual people. And that's really um, what is, is so compelling to a, to a customer um, or consumer is, is the, you know, the story of someone who was in prison for 29 years and came out, couldn't get a job, and now they produced this this product or helped, um, you know, you know, the distribution center, whatever it is. Um, whether you know, we do it through our packaging. Um, we do it, you know, we supply Ben and Jerry's. Um, they they include us on their packaging as well. Um, and so that's another kind of angle on this is for the larger companies that aren't necessarily ready to do it themselves yet, are there ways that they can look into their supply chain and look at their suppliers and see if any of them can implement something like this and in a way that enables them to also talk about it themselves. Um, you know, we're, we're excited to see companies get creative with, with how and where they tell this message and, and who it resonates with. Thanks. What about you, Mubarak? Anything, I, I know you're relatively new to the role up here in Rochester, but is there anything that jumps out at you, either that's, that's been personally surprising uh, or, or for the business leaders that you're talking to as you're making all those calls and having those meetings kind of surprises along the way? Yeah, I think, I mean, so the interesting thing is I've, I've been getting like uh, connections on LinkedIn from like France and different areas of people that just are, are, are fascinated with open hiring and have an interest. Um, but I think the surprising thing for businesses is that, you know, we have a proven model that has been at Grayson for over 35 years. And uh, like Sarah had said earlier, it's not a social services program. So we understand that businesses have a goal in mind, right? So this is a way that they can still reach those goals. And Grayson, again, is a proven model of how the open hiring model has been successful. Uh, we've increased production um, and I think it'll have a similar impact. So I, th I think the biggest case again is you know it we've had success um and you know it, it hasn't stopped by using this model and we're able to, again for those businesses that are socially conscious we see all these issues that are happening in our community this is one way you know that we can get people to work and what i'm saying you put people to work and they spend those hours back in the community so it is like full circle so i think that you know it, it not only will benefit getting people employed, but also benefit our community by having dollars come back into our community as well. Yeah, I think that's an important aspect of it. You know, I think there's a lot of people that are that are well meaning, and maybe they make their their donations or their contributions as a kind of bolt on kind of kind of thing that they do at the end of the year or, or whatever. But really, um, well, I was gonna say baked, I, I didn't mean to use the pun, but really baked into the into the business plan here at Grayston is, is that that give back is that uh, you know, that really purposeful model. And I think that that's really an opportunity for, again, for business leaders to kind of make that shift uh, in, in terms of not, not something that's ancillary, not something that's just nice to have, but something that not only is a, is a part of your DNA, but really drives the, the, the growth of your business because hopefully people, people hear it and, and they want to get involved. And so, Sarah, as, as you are, uh, you know, working at Grayson and, and maybe 
trying to get either other regions or other businesses kind of involved. What are some of the ways, is there anything specific that needs to be done or that business leaders should be thinking about in terms of, you know, trying to not just bring these folks in, uh, but, but actually have this, I mean, as I mentioned earlier, kind of this radical inclusion. Are there any kinds of uh, practices, whether for the, the, the new hires or for the existing employees in terms of really creating, uh, you know, rather than this rift in the, in the business, like how do you truly create that inclusion? Have you seen any kind of best practices along those lines? Yeah, I think it's really building the right balance of accountability with support that you, you need to, you need to set, set the expectations up front. What are, what is this job? What are the requirements? And, and then hold people accountable to those expectations. And yet, um, when someone doesn't meet them, rather than just punishing them or disciplining them, saying, why? If you, if you showed up late every day this week, you know, why was that? And if it's something that maybe we can help you out with, let's do that. And, and if it happens again next week, well, then maybe we have to have a conversation about, you know, this is the right fit. Um, but I think it's striking that balance that's really important um, as you think about bringing in you know, folks who, who may be returning from incarceration, may not have held a job ever or, or in some time, um, making sure you know, that, that you're, you're holding them accountable, but also trying to support them along the way. And, and when there are issues, asking the why behind them, um, we think makes this, makes this successful. Yeah, yeah, I think I think so often, uh, you know, many of us, what, what for whatever for whatever reason, uh, you know, we, we tend to point the finger at that individual and and overlook the the system or the or the barriers that maybe maybe created that that late employee or or whatever the case may be. And so that that asking why and and having that empathy, I think, is is an important thing in general for for all of us to 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 try to think about. But definitely, as you're trying to trying to implement this. So I hope anyways, uh, in, our, in our time that we've at least uh, piqued the interest of, of some business leaders, whether in Rochester or elsewhere, to, uh, to get a hold of, of you folks and hopefully try to, try to bring this open hiring to them uh, into their organizations or to their communities. But I'd like to hear a little bit about kind of your own purpose and why. Um, you know, Sarah, first to you, it, I, I'm fascinated that they have uh, at Harvard Business School, uh, you know, studying about business model solutions to social challenges. How did you get involved in this more kind of socially responsible, conscious capitalism, whatever you want to call it? Um, were, did you always have this kind of mindset for business? I would say I went into my career in, in business believing that that there was a role for businesses to play in society and, and in addressing social challenges. Honestly, even before stakeholder capitalism was really like the name of the game, which seems to be, you know, very much of the moment currently. Um, I didn't necessarily feel in my, you know, previous roles in, in, in corporate environments, um, I didn't necessarily feel that was always the lens with which we were developing our strategy. Um, I do think that is changing. Um, I think COVID and, um, you know, recent kind of awareness of, of racial injustice is only serving to accelerate um, the attention that CEOs are placing on stakeholders beyond their shareholders. Um, but honestly, at, at Harvard, I, I, I kind of built my own path through electives, but it certainly wasn't like a well-trodden path or, or program. Um, there, there is increased attention around it. 
but it was for the most part of a, a fairly traditional education in, in management and in generating shareholder value and profit. Um, but I was determined to, to leverage that skill set um, and, and my ability to kind of speak to the needs of businesses for the purpose of, of scaling something you know, impactful, like an open hiring model. Um, so I feel so lucky that I found Grayston and um, a model that can speak to both the kind of financial concerns as well as community impact potential that a business can have. Um, but it's certainly, it, it's it's new, it's different, it's unlike anything I've done in the past. And it, it requires finding those business leaders who are also willing to do things differently. Yeah, is there anything that you've, uh, you know, I, I asked this question maybe maybe somewhat selfishly because I'm always trying to convince more, more business leaders to take this kind of conscious capitalism, stakeholder capitalism type of approach. But is there anything that you've found either in your career in general or, or in your work at Grayston in terms of kind of, convincing those those skeptics that aren't really sure that think that the only social responsibility of business is to make profit uh, like like is there any way that either that you can point to in your own career of you know what helped evolve your mindset or any success that you've had in terms of trying to trying to convince people or at least nudge them to open their eyes to these opportunities i think you have to you have to tie it back to a thinking about a longer time horizon. Like I think a lot of where the, the challenge, where people think that these things are at odds comes into when they're thinking about the short term and they're thinking about their next, finishing the quarter strong. And that's where, you know, investing in employee benefits, for example, may not make sense if you're trying to meet those numbers. But if you think about, if you lengthen your time horizon, um, which honestly is aligned with most investors who are, you know, usually in the market for the long run, um, that's where I think doing things like open hiring and path making and other sorts of, you know, conscious business practices really make sense um, as you think about how you invest in your in your workforce and your business and your strategy. Um, it's not always easy, but that is like my best, I think, <laughs> approach to trying to, to reach the skeptics and to bridge the gap and to get them thinking at a, a, on a different time horizon and, and about therefore you know, what's going to drive shareholder return differently. Yeah. And then, and then I want to shift because sometimes I, I, I joke, you know, there's sometimes with, with, the, with conscious capitalism, people see it as like a, an oxymoron and, and you gotta, gotta half the people hate the word conscious and the other half hate the word capitalism. And like, I, I'd love to get to the point where, where conscious capitalism is not an oxymoron, but it becomes redundant because capitalism is seen as, you know, a way to, to do good. Uh, but, but sometimes it is, um, you know, convincing those folks that come more from the conscious side to embrace more of the the business model and in the way how can we do this in a in a um, you know a market driven type of a way and and so Sarah, you're coming from from the business world and trying to trying to inject some consciousness, but but Mubarak, uh, you know, you had this this background in sociology and criminology. You, you had the had the MPA. What was it for you that said not? I don't want to do this in just the you know, purely nonprofit context, but I want to, uh, you know, bring bring the business world along into into my career. How how do you how did you kind of bridge that gap? So I think in my uh, <clears throat> previous role, so we had businesses on uh, that were partners that would come to our meetings, and I would always at our partners meetings say, you know, we're coming from this social work background. Businesses are coming from the business background. And so that's what my goal is in this role. And 
a lot of the times we would lose relationships with businesses because one of our participants may not have shown up for work, but the business never said, you know, why didn't that person show up for work? There've been times I was in the office with someone that has a felony and they're like, you know, I'm not even gonna apply for a job because I have this record, there's no point. And, and you just see people get demoralized that they don't have that opportunity to work. And that is, uh, it has a huge impact on staff. You know that you're sitting there, your goal is to help the community and someone's basically given up. And so when I transitioned from the Urban League into this role, I always say the transition was smooth because I still have the opportunity to work with the young people and those adults that we served and, and give them the opportunity to find work. And we remove those barriers. So there will be no conversations with the staff at the Urban League or the ABCs of their clients coming and saying, you know, I can't work, I have this felony on my record. And so I, I uh, am just grateful that this opportunity came to Rochester. Uh, my entire career has really been working with those that will be considered at risk or disadvantaged. And honestly, I feel like I could have been in that similar situation if I didn't have certain, certain people in my life growing up that helped me. And so I, I, I feel like I can hopefully serve as that person that can help those people that, you know, are just down and out and I can, you know, and, and boost them. Not to say that my situation was the same as them, but I did have a lot of hardships growing up. Um, so that has kind of been my path is that, you know, the way that I grew up, this is like my passion. I, I want to help those that didn't have that opportunity to get where they need to go. And Grayson has just, you know, at the right time come and have given me that opportunity to hopefully, you know, social work and business, we can meet in the middle and find a way to make sure that we're able to benefit, benefit our community. I love it. Well, they're lucky to have you and, and we're lucky to have you here in Rochester. And I think, uh, you know, somehow that the time has flown by, but I think I'm going to do one last question to, to each of you. And, and Sarah, you kind of inspired it because you're talking about thinking long term. Um, what does maybe 10 years down the road, what does success look like for, for Grayson? What, what, what are you dreaming about? It's funny. I just we I just was in a conversation with our CEO Joe Kenner about this. Like, what is success for us? Um, and I think as a as a nonprofit mission oriented place, like I, I think we'll probably never be satisfied. But I do think we dream of sort of a tipping point where every business is doing open hiring in some capacity or is in some way you know finding the opportunities um, in their organization where they can create. Uh, jobs for, for folks who, who've otherwise been excluded. And therefore, from the standpoint of people who are, you know, coming out of incarceration, living with a record or previously homeless, or for whatever reason, you know, in today's society, just are completely excluded, they, they see hope for themselves. Like they, they, they know that there are companies out there that will hire them. That will be success for us. Love it. And I know you're just getting started, Mubarak. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, put too much on you but but what are you dreaming about in rochester what do you what do you think we can accomplish here together yeah i think similar is that we want to see businesses on board uh with open hiring getting getting on board and and uh just again not necessary so so many leaders and uh you know with all these different things that are going on put out statements but there are a lot of organizations and places that are actually doing the work so let's not put out statements let's actually work with these uh, organizations that are doing the work and, and work together. So I, I would say 10 years from now, um, similar. I want all businesses in Rochester to be using an open hiring model. You know, we'll see a reduction in our, our poverty, our the injustices that are happening, the uh, graduation rates. And if someone doesn't graduate, at least we're able to give them opportunities to work. Because I think even if someone is incarcerated, we're giving them the opportunities to work. Because we know if someone 
is returns from incarceration. If they're employed, they're less likely to return um, to uh, to prison. So it's very important that uh, you know that we're playing a key role in this. So my goal is have a lot of businesses on board, and they're doing the open hiring, and you know we have a, a huge impact in Rochester with Grayson coming here. Well. I'm really excited that Rochester is one of the first pilots. Uh, I hope that that listeners are gonna gonna want to give you a call and and at least explore this kind of radical paradigm shifting transformation that that is really possible. Uh, in the spirit of of what you were just saying of you know just doing the work, I'm really really grateful that you both spent the time here today to join us on the podcast. But but more way more importantly um, that you're doing the work each and every day. So thank you both so much. Uh, for, for joining us. And, uh, and I can't wait to see those dreams come true. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks as always to all the evolutionaries out there listening across more than 30 countries around the world. We hope that you found it to be both inspirational and full of actionable insights to guide you on your own evolutionary journey. We've grown this movement entirely by word of mouth, so if you know someone who might find value in listening to this episode, we'd be deeply grateful if you'd share it with them. And of course, make sure you're subscribed on your favorite listening app so that you're notified as soon as we release new episodes each week. Together, we can evolve business toward a more conscious capitalism.